I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you Shots. like. What a stop! Chance for Ben! Oh! Jordan Ben! Yes! Jordan Ben! I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been... We're, be we're bigger than that. That interview is just like the performance, flat. No. What, what do you want him to do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, he, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of it. Fire it up, fire it up. Yes, indeed. Friday afternoon, Friday evening, uh, possibly Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, whatever time this uh, greets you at. Uh, greetings to the Friday Football Podcast. Adrian Barry here. Nathan Murphy there. Hey, Adrian. How's it going? Great. And we have a new voice to the Friday Football Podcast. To uh, regular listeners, they'll be very unfamiliar with this particular contributor. It's Jerry Gilroy. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I founded this thing, so... Well, you might have founded it, but then you pissed off well, and uh, left it to the experts. He does love a good podcast. He does like enjoy being on podcasts, I but do. only when he's the centre of attention. <laughs> when he has to share it, he's not so keen. Yeah. Welcome back, Jer. Statler and Waldorf here. Slightly tanned uh, looking. Really? Well, that's because I was on holidays. Yeah, good. In a, in a sunny climate. Enjoyed. Yeah. How are you were away for a while. How, how were your holidays? <laughs> they were really good, yeah. <laughs> what, did, what did you get done? Quite boring, actually, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's like Chinese torture in some respects, but let's not get into uh, oh, yeah. what I did with my time off. Uh, that's, wow. for, that's for another podcast. I think that's <laughs> probably more appropriate. Relaxing to, at home, it was uh, Chinese torture. <laughs> I was. There's a construction site outside my uh, 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 window. Construction site. <laughs> All I can see is big hole being dug here. Yeah, keep going. There was a big hole being dug, and that was sort of part of the. Uh, <laughs> and the rest, and so <laughs> on. Yeah. Right, we very swiftly seem to have turned this on me. <laughs> That's the talent how, of the man right there. Well, how the you shit did that happen? You I did. Right I did. I appreciate it. that. But uh, that said, let's continue to slag you, Joe. We should do that over the next while. You're with us for about 20 minutes before you've got to go and do Mate. something else. That's, I mean, in some way, somehow, more important than the Friday Football Podcast. I'm here which for about I'm 10 minutes, actually, because you, you took so long twiddling those knobs over there that. Um, we're, we're a little bit late starting in the studio. Yeah, well, that would be the general gist of things. Uh, you are welcome along. We'll get to the football in just a minute. Our first... Uh, Can I just make a point that it's been yes. the worst Premier League season in the last decade? Yeah. Well, it's quite disappointing, but before you make that point, our ga live game on Sunday is Manchester United against Arsenal. It's at Old Trafford. Our best commentary team is on the action. Nathan, oh, I mean, uh, Dave is at Old Trafford uh, this weekend alongside Ray Houghton for the uh, four o'clock kickoff. Nathan will be back in the studio where he belongs alongside Joe Malloy and we'll have all the best of everything else to build confidence on. among your staff yeah wow. no, not much to be uh, he, he's not much for the uh, motivational no, or, or no. inspirational Nathan's leadership. just please back try, after a please try and be less shit <laughs> Nathan's just back after a two day two day course where he's been learning how to up, manage up manage sideways manage down a yeah. cocoon of be a better sort of <laughs> it was yeah. exactly that we were all you know nothing left those six walls of that room yeah yeah, I've heard loads about it though. It was, it was brilliant. When they asked you to describe uh, management styles you've worked under, I'll tell you, there was quite a lot to, I had to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would mainly, mainly be Jura, I would one, think. One of them uh, was on no graph they'd ever heard of. Oh, yeah. And and, and that was in your previous job, right? That was my. <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah, I believe there's a lot of people who listen to this uh, Friday <laughs> Football podcast. Um, yeah, you're making the point, Jerry. It's been a shit season. Whatever about it being a shit season, it's a really disappointing end to it. I mean, if, even if you look at the games this weekend, well, like Sunderland and Leicester is probably the pick of them. And that's an indictment of where we're at. Almost irrespective of that. Last night, it was we were having this conversation. So on Thursday night, we were having this conversation watching Dnipro and uh, Rafa Benitez. Napoli. Making the whole point that this season was ruined by Spurs and Everton because if those two clowns 
had had any sense about them and thrown all their resources and time and energy into the Europa League, then this game between Arsenal and Manchester United would be an absolutely massive defining game because it would decide who gets the third place. Say, say somehow it was a Europa League final of Everton against Spurs and it was guaranteed to be an English team coming through the Champions League there. And suddenly third, fourth, this game would be unbelievably big. But the four teams get through as well and the Europa League winner. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Are you sure? I'm 90% sure. I'm 100% sure you're not. Are you sure? Gonna, yeah. Because I'm pretty certain I made that mistake. You can't get five teams. There was no way there was going to be five teams. You take the third place. No. Well, that was what everybody had been explaining to us all season. I said that exact thing on air. Go Google it there quickly. Well, and well, I was Keen, quickly will you reminded. Go? We've uh, work experience. Keen with us. Intra uh, placement. Keen with us for the next couple of weeks. Keen, would you be able to go in? Bring some clarity to this uh This is a big moment, Keen. Conversation. Um, Remember, if you agree with me... You're safe. Yeah, let's maybe come back to the point because it's kind of fundamental to the uh, to the discussion. I don't I don't get though how you uh, I understand how that feeds into the Europa League maybe being shit from one point of view, but as to the Premier League season, well, because now there's nothing of any interest whatsoever, and also the the possibility that we had of there being a, a malleable situation where the top four weren't the defined top four, mm. where it looked like Liverpool and or Spurs. And maybe Everton could push to break into that in the style of Atletico Madrid have broken the top two teams in Spain. That's gone. The top four are going to be the top four this season. They're going to be the top four next season. I don't know. I'm, I'm not 100% forever. convinced by that because I mean, even the two examples that you've used, both of them had like shocking first half to the half of the seasons. Both of them. And Who? Uh, Everton most specifically and Spurs and so Pochettino the possibility that actually this summer he brings in a few players that he actually wants to work with as opposed to the bunch that he's kind of been landed with which I presume is part of the acceptance there um, I don't know what happens at Everton I think they're a bit more um, a bit more difficult to get your head around them and God knows about Liverpool but certainly from Tottenham's point of view that go on Cian, what uh, you can speak it's alright speak up <laughs> What happened to Chelsea in the Champions? Jump into a microphone there and tell us what's 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 going on. It's what uh, happened to Champion uh, Chelsea in the Champions League before, um, when they stole the fourth place spot when they beat Bayern Munich in the final. So it's the same as that. So it's four English teams. Uh. Actually, I'm not sure you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on I'm on the UEFA.com website. No more than five clubs can enter the UEFA Champions League yes, from one national yes, association. Yes, yes. <laughs> that doesn't automatically. No, I I I, I oh, yeah, honestly okay, okay. I do remember saying on air the exact same thing that that is what I thought everyone had been led to believe mm. and. Straight away, there was texting saying, no, five teams can get in. I love the way Nathan has been at this course for the last few days, and uh, certainly any degree of modesty or hubris wasn't anything they were working on with you. Well, clearly, management is all about not being modest. and. Oh, really? Yeah. Like shouting in people's faces, yes, I was right, you were wrong. Well, yeah. the one thing I learned about management is to take credit for everything. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the, the only situation that they're actually talking about on the UEFA website which is stupid is regarding the top three associations Spain, England and Germany if two clubs from one of these countries win both the Champions League and the Europa League and neither finish in the uh, top four then you still only get five spots But Okay, you can't get six No but it doesn't say that you automatically if you win that I take the place of the fourth place oh, team Oh yeah Although, you know There you go not 100% sure we need to worry about that from an English team's point of view. None of them, I mean, that point that you make that, you know, they just didn't take it seriously and so the thing we're told is that the demands of the Premier League are just too much. You know, these other leagues can uh, cope with it but unless you've got a deep squad, which maybe Spurs have a, a depth of, average, of averageness. 
um, yeah, to cope with it. It's an indictment of their buying. It's an indictment of their ability to put together a squad over the last number of years. And it's really disappointing that none of this, like no one took the opportunity while there is a, a gap in Manchester United's ability to go and be a dominant team to send them into crisis to finish fourth even there was no overachievement mm -hmm. this season compared to last year what made last season so brilliant and we were spoilt last season which I think maybe even magnifies a bit more how poor this season has been was that Liverpool massively overachieved and gave us something we didn't expect which was a dramatic title race whereas this year you could have essentially certainly predicted the top six well, would if you look, finish if you, as like, they like do the top two as they currently stand you probably have a bit of a toss up between them but if you look at every other position on the table it's pretty much what, like Tottenham, yeah, we would have expected to finish fifth. I mean, it's pretty much as you would... Sixth. sixth. Or sixth. Liverpool, uh, fifth. Liverpool fifth. That's probably pretty much as you would have expected. Yeah, after after that, any of those teams could have been relegated and any of those teams could have finished... Maybe Everton seventh. aside, yeah. Yeah, Everton are the underachievers. Southampton are the overachievers of the season. But none of that is particularly <laughs> exciting. <laughs> no, it was, it was fun United for a little while with Southampton. Yeah, but it was fun when it was Man United and Liverpool who were the under and overachievers. Um, I still think there is potential... The problem is it all comes down to one player. Like Spurs and Liverpool have proven in recent years, the years that they have overachieved, that if you can find one freakish talent, he can lift you those couple of places. But it's very difficult to build a team. Well, you can't because, I mean, the Suarez thing goes to prove that, you know, if Harry Kane has any ambition, he's not going to be hanging around the Spurs for much longer either. And that's the reality for these clubs. You get one good season out of them. Brendan Rodgers looks like an absolute genius. And then you got to move on. Well, I'd say that you could probably get a player and pay him a record amount of money and get him to stay. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. I, I, for like, how long though? I mean, you can't really build... Luis Suarez could have played Champions League football for Liverpool if they had offered him a million a week. They would have, he would have stayed for a million, million a year. week. Whatever, whatever. Well, but the they already had a yeah, mm. a million a week is there's going to be a million. A but week they still player. probably can't Luis pay him as much as Barcelona are going to pay him or they can. Real Madrid. They can. They can pay one player as much or more. But than they don't want else. to. The owners don't want to break their wage structure okay, because grand. if they pay Luis Suarez a million a week, Stephen Gerrard wants half a million a week. And Stephen mm. Gerrard can go shit. Like, <laughs> Which he is going in fairness to him. Ultimately, you know you. But it does not also speak to a lack of ambition. For I mean, if Luis Suarez ultimately is accepting of granted a whole huge chunk of cash, are Liverpool realistically going to win the Champions League on the basis of Luis Suarez alone? Yes. Yeah. Alone. Quite possibly. Yes. Really? Yes. The way they nearly won the league alone. Yeah. yeah no. That's granted. It, like, granted. But so I think the Champions League is a different all, beast. All of, but Champions League is arguably league. easier yeah. to win not than now, the league. I think. I think maybe well, ten years kind of ago was kind of freakish as well. In fairness. Well, there was a whole uh, run of teams. That Milan team were shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the Olympiacos game. Gerard scored with. Whatever was the, almost the last kick of the game, Neil Miller set him up. Was that it? It was sort of in the group stages. Well, that was the last group stage. They had to win by two goals, and Gerrard scored. They came from one 0 down. So that was kind of freakish. The final was totally freakish. Yeah, but they still managed it. It happened. Yeah. Like Borussia Dortmund came from nowhere, really, with a good collection of players, which maybe slightly counteracts the argument that we have here. But Borussia Dortmund, are, if, if things are going well in Germany, are always going to finish second, and so therefore will always have Champions League football. For Liverpool, once you break into that. You must spend whatever it takes to stay there, and they mm. haven't done that. They've done really badly with that, and that's like it's disappointing as a football fan that they've yeah. been no good this year. Yeah. And from a Liverpool fan, it must be the most worrying twelve months. There's been periods under Rafa Benitez when they've struggled, and Julio when they've really struggled. But there's been a clear statement of lack of ambition over the past year. That actually we're not going to spend to stay there. We're just they had the chance to keep they Suarez spent so badly. Like signing those signing those Southampton players. Well, all bar all, well, all bar Ricky Lambert actually, you would think were de like decently educated. Ah, like 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 Lallana, in, in, really? in any way, yeah, Lalana was brilliant. I watched a lot of him la uh, last season. He was brilliant, and t times on his He's own, had no track record. When one, the other guy, the other striker season. was out, he was. Lalana's at times this season. Lalana has played reasonably well. The problem is for Liverpool, they're always going to be buying these twenty to twenty-five million pound players, paying them eighty grand a week. 
and hoping that one of them is a Suarez or a Torres and jumps to that next level while they're at the club. They're not going to pay someone. You know, you, I, I know the point you're going to make is, well, why not sign one guy for 50 million and pay him well, twice as much? They could have signed Benteke injured, right? And now they would have had him for 20 million. But there's no. I, I would be surprised if they get him this summer. Maybe they will pay the money and he will choose to go to a club who aren't offering Champions League football when several Champions League teams will come and offer him the money and the opportunity of, of doing that. Maybe they will. But they don't buy smart and they're not picking up free transfers like that Juventus team mm. now granted all those Man United players probably never would have signed for Liverpool but at the same time obviously obviously, you're not going to get uh, Patrice Everett to join the club when Luis Suarez maybe they could have passed each other but it's the character of the players as well like Ever and Tevez have never looked like guys who are just going to let their career peter out no matter where they go and they're going to want it whereas Adam Lallana is like oh it's a really big and I just, I'm scared of playing against Southampton but I don't again. think he, see, yeah. I, yeah and I granted look fair enough but I don't think he could have told that from all the evidence I, I would have definitely said at the end of last season from all the evidence that was a good buy as I think that how much was Alexis Sanchez uh, 35 million. And how much was Lalana? Liverpool tried to sign Alexis Sanchez. Okay, he wouldn't they, sign for them. Fine. Lalana was 25 million. Okay, so, like, but sign a 35 million pound player who does want to sign for you. Find find somebody else. Now, okay, you're saying who, but like, who? there are loads of them out but there. But I, I think it is one of the big difficulties for Liverpool that the 35 million pound players are automatically being chased by several clubs. And London is a far more attractive option. And even then... Spain is a far more attractive option ahead of that. It's true, and that's and why Manchester to, is even a more attractive proposition than Liverpool. And that's why you've got to pay them way more than they, maybe they're worth. And but so long as you get it right, they haven't got their signings mm. right. Because that's the thing. Because they get them and they, they overspend on players as Liverpool have done, and then they end up being shit, and they get doubly beaten for it. Do you know what I mean? Like I mean, there is there isn't. I, look, I would think Lallana particularly is a good example of somebody that was a pretty well educated. Guess Lambert probably less so. Granted, Lambert's, but, uh, Lambert's two million, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like that's a, a, but they're just, probably, I don't know what they're paying know. him. Probably not a great deal. He's, happy. No. he's just he's well, just happy Rogers to be there. hasn't handled the situation with the players coming in particularly well either. Like he's changed system, he's changed formation and players week in week out. That Markovic had a good run, and next thing he's on the bench for a couple of games. That. If, if you're 21-22, you need to be playing... Well, like, we still don't know a lot about Markovic now because he hasn't played a full season in the Premier League. He's still yeah. only played started 15 games. Well, we're not praising Rodgers, by the way, uh, like, you know, a few months ago for exactly that point that you made, that so he's tinkered around and found this thing with three at the back and that's the solution. Well, well but it's not the solution because he changed back again well, through injuries. And when yeah, yeah, when they started losing a couple of games, he went back again to four at the back. But the, So Markovic, I'm far less down on because... We don't know, and that's the risk. When you sign a Markovic, the next the the twenty five million that you spend on Lalana has to be a surefire guaranteed hit. And Christian Benteke would have been that, like okay, in a different position. But so he's injured. He's gonna get over that injury. Modern medicine's a miracle. It's only an Achilles. Players come back, sign him, put him on the bench, finish the season spectacularly, and then bounce into next season. Going, we've got Benteke. What have you got? Instead, he's got Lalana, who's. I, like, I just think that there's no... This whole transfer committee nonsense, mm. that's bollocks. Oh, well, that's daft. Like, it's Are there any nonsense. other clubs... Like, what are, what, what, generally, transfer systems that clubs involve Man director City. of football yeah. and Also, the manager. biggest wasters yeah. of money. Man City yeah. have three or four people who are picking those. And the, the amazing stuff coming out about the, the ownership of Eric Mangala in the um, Guardian this week. Unbelievable stuff. 12 or 14 different people getting a, a little cut off that off some the of them 35 million they spent on them some of them is this like the Tevez Mascherano stuff from years ago that there was a, a little bit yeah there was third party not, not actually yeah, yeah. they bought it all out and there's like an anonymous company 
and uh, and it it wound up after the Mangala deal was done. So no one knows who it was. Ten percent of the transfer fee, which is actually four point two five million or something, and uh, that's all disappeared. No one, literally, no one knows exactly who that money's going to. Like, well, that just stinks. And also, there's a t- certain type of player committees tend to buy, which is a nice, safe player. They're not going to take the risk. And you look at the players that Manchester City have bought, Fernando, who is really a nothing player. He's Fernando, Fernandinho, Negredo. Um, they all fit. Uh, you, you can imagine why you would sign someone like Negredo. He's big, Wilfred he's strong. Bonny. Like there's there's 120 million quids, and not a single first team player really who's going to have any impact over the course of a couple of seasons. Yeah. And you'd imagine as well, someone like Tevez, a committee would look at and say, no, nah, this guy's trouble. Yeah. And eight million quid, we send him off to go and win a Champions League. And he's, a, he's already a Champions League winner. So, I gotta go. Jared, it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's been brief. Wow. But a pleasure. Point. That's it. He's, he's uh, like, like George Costanza. Did you ever watch Seinfeld? Uh, bits and pieces. George Costanza used to, uh, he used to sit in a meeting and, you know, he eventually figured out that at some point in the meeting, he'd make a brilliant point or a brilliant gag and then everybody would piss themselves laughing. And that was his point. That was critical mass. I need to get out of here. I'm done. This and then he'd, and he'd, and he'd just leg it. So he'd, go, he'd, make, he'd make his point. Uh, you know, cause, so he was in a situation where he'd make the point and then he'd make other points. And then people were like, God, oh, George, what are you on about? That's absolute bullshit. So he had to realise this was my high point. And then he'd just say, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here in the middle of the meeting. It's quite a good, uh, quite a good philosophy. I didn't teach that at my management course. <laughs> you see? Every day is a learning day, yeah, Nathan. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I think that's probably like we certainly planned at some point to have a discussion about the overall. Yeah, um, tomorrow, tomorrow from three to six, of the, we'll uh, have a chat about the season as a whole, perhaps. Season, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the individual games uh, this weekend. Southampton Villa is going to kick it off tomorrow, um, and we've touched on that a little bit. And Jack Grealish obviously has sort of dominated things. I don't think we necessarily. Want to get back into that, Nathan, unless you have your two cents to offer. I know you've been on radio silence for most of the week, so... Yeah, I think Martin O'Neill has made a mistake, but that he has been quite harshly treated by the media, mm. that he was backed into a corner. Now, he's so experienced, he should have known what to do. He should have known just to keep quiet. But he was backed into a corner by Dunphy, Giles, everybody in the media saying, just call him up, just call him up, mm. just put him on the spot. we got to get this guy. Call him up for the games against England and Scotland. Play him against Scotland. That's what he does. Grealish turns him down. And the mistake he made is making it public because now it's backfired and yeah. everyone well, thinks... Somebody, somebody made it public. Like, I think we can assume it was either O'Neill or it was Daddy Grealish. I'm going to assume it was one or the other. Yeah, I would have assumed it was O'Neill that it came from. Looking at the sources, it came through. And the raison d'etre behind all that is that... That he wanted to make it clear. He was... This was... And so, this so is... If we lose to Scotland, O'Neill is going to be savaged. Rightly. But he's going to be savaged for not selecting Jack Grealish. So he says, look, at, I tried my best. I did everything. The boy doesn't want to play. And it's that's, not that's, my problem. That's kind of reasonable, right? It is kind of reasonable. Like, what can he do? I mean, there's nothing he can do. There's like, nothing Jack he Grealish can do, but you clearly... could... From a long-term point of view, I guess, the argument would be, well, if he just said, listen... We spoke about this three months ago or two months ago. He said he's not ready until September. Now, the problem with that is the entire press conference is going to be dominated by, well, why didn't you ring him? Did yeah. you ring him? Have you spoken to the but, player? But, Have you? And O'Neill eventually goes, 
Well, actually, I did. I spoke to him. Yeah. I had him named in the squad originally, and then I spoke to him last night, and he said he doesn't want to be in it. Well, how about this for uh, like a plan of attack? That they, you know, so the agreement was that you know, I really needed to focus, as Tim Sherwood's been saying this week, and everything that's gone on at Villa over the next few weeks, um, and that he was always going to make a decision after that. And that O'Neill says, look, that's always been the case. We're constantly in touch with him. He knows we want him. You know, but not you know. Why did he need to go as far as to say we've called him up? Could he not have? Could he not have very subtly said, unless he knew there was something else at play? What do you think? Well, that unless he knew that Jack Grealish, and to all intents and purposes from the outside looking in, this would appear to be the case, is just waiting for the love bomb from England, and then that's it. Because otherwise, what's he waiting for? <sighs> like the only thing that hasn't happened in this whole whole equation is an England call up. Yeah, I I I think Jack Grealish has played it quite well. Like. Aston Villa should be his priority for the moment. That's kind of bullshit, though. Why? Well, why should that be his priority? And why can they, they pay him sorry, his wages? Sorry, that, that, I, I phrased that incorrectly. Why can't they be his priority and he still accept an international call-up? I don't understand that. Because it's not as simple. Like, Ireland are playing England a week after the FA Cup final. The build-up to the FA Cup final will be dominated. If he p- decides to go in the Ireland squad, but he's all, just, the British press are going to be all over him. But he's not He's not going to do any interviews. You know, Tim Sherwood's going to be asked about it, and that's he's fine. And Tim Sherwood will deal it in his usual charismatic self. And that's the end of it. I mean, that's the end of it. I don't understand why. I don't why. think it is. I don't think it is. I'm, I'm not sure I buy that, I have to say. I, I For me, I think the fundamental in all this is that, and we're not going to spend a great deal more time talking about this, but uh, that he is really waiting for that love bomb. And, and, and that maybe, potentially that his father was the person and I, we've no exact details around any of this it's come from one or two sources if it's come from his father it was quite suited to him that it was in the Telegraph mm. that morning before it was officially announced saying to the FA this is happening so like what, yeah. what have you got? I don't and, then, and then presumably the FA see that they call um, uh, what's his name? his father Mr Grealish Mr Grealish I don't know whatever his first name is they call him and they say uh Sorry, what's happening here? We want him to play for us. Yeah, and then that, and then that was where the, yeah. where the withdrawal came. I don't know if England are quite that pushed about him just yet. Uh, I don't have a problem if Jack Grealish plays for England. He's born in England. Off with him. Mm. And I actually don't think Martin O'Neill has handled this too badly. I would agree with all that. I think he's yeah. done quite well, and I think people are looking for a reason to beat O'Neill over the head about this. Like I heard nonsense again during the week about, oh, we've missed out on the two great English talents, both of whom could have played for Ireland. Oh, we missed yeah. out on Harry Kane. Well, that was Eamon like, Dunphy, I think, specifically, That's a load right? of bollocks. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to Harry Kane. Yeah. Like, I asked now, him I think, the exact I think Dunphy thing. was talking about years ago. I don't think he was talking about this year. I do, no, I do take but, your point. But he, no, but he, what he was essentially saying was, oh, if we had a proper system in place, you know, we would have identified Harry Kane and we would have got him on board. That's exactly what happened with Jack Grealish. He was identified mm. at a very young age. As an under-14, he was brought in. Now he's matured a bit. Now it's his decision. And he may well decide to go with England. So what? We should have somehow coerced Harry Kane when he was 14, even though he says, I'm a patriot. Mm. I was born in England. I but, want to play yeah. for England. That we should have somehow twisted his arm and said, but look, your dad's from Galway. Yeah. Oh, well, you can be a that? patriot up to a point as well. Like, you've got to be a bit of a pragmatist. Like, at 14, Harry Kane's... Advisors at that point are thinking, well, this guy's kind of, he's good, but he's also a bit average and he's not going to have any great international career. Maybe Ireland might be an option. And I don't think you're particularly going to be a patriot, as has happened quite clearly in the past. It has, but I'm sh- these conversations do happen. Mm. Like I think what Martin O'Neill has found surprising since he took the job is just how much detail we want. We want to know every little thing that he does during the week. Yeah. We want to know 
every phone call that's been made, who yeah. he's talking to, everything that goes on behind the scenes. Whereas he's used to working away in a pretty private environment in a Premier League club. It's an intense environment with the media. But there is regular press conferences. You know, everything is kind of... you know, they're, they're, It's the same questions you face every week. There's not even that much time. Whereas we have two months to think about... Well, you have a whole week in the build-up to a game. It, we do, but that, also you have a couple of months game, to prepare. That means nothing. And from a, particularly from a newspaper point of view, Ireland and the national team sells newspapers, you want to get stories in about the national team as often as possible. So therefore, you have to go digging that little bit further. Martin O'Neill is also an exceptionally clever person. He doesn't need to engage in those questions. So, Martin, what was the timeline around here? Well, I'm not telling you because it's all very sensitive. That's the next question. Yeah, I think, but I think he did all that. Like, he, he, this, mm. he's, had, he's probably had seven or eight press conferences now where Jack Grealish has been a topic of conversation. And... He, like he does get frustrated quite easily. I've I've surprised it's taken him so long, almost to back Grealish into a corner. Now it does seem to have backfired to in, in it, well. I don't think it's maybe completely backfired. It does seem to be a fifty fifty split almost between people who think, yeah, screw Grealish. Mm. You know, if you don't want to play for Ireland, you should walk over hot coals to come and play for Ireland. And the other side, which is. Well, we should bow down at Jack Grealish and say, please, please beg him. And so and the Martin truth O'Neill. is somewhere in between. Yeah, and I think that's where Martin O'Neill kind of is. Yeah, yeah, I think that's sort of a reasonable point of view. You know, Kenny was on with us and made his point very eloquently during the week that uh, that's it. He, I think in fairness, he kind of backtracked from the initial, that's it, never call him up again, yeah. to, you know, like, you know, if Grealish makes the call himself and says, yeah. and that's, I think that's all very, re- and I think that's exactly how it would play out. You yeah, know? I think the headline was somewhat misleading, perhaps, with, Ken, you know, the never call him up again that actually mm. what he means is okay when it comes to the qualifiers in September let's not have Martin O'Neill basically saying the day before the squad's announced well I called Jack Grealish yeah. and again he told me but I'll wait I'll mm. keep waiting you just say listen if he wants to call me he wants to come into the squad I'll take that call people tend to get very excited as well about the whole idea of nationality and uh, particularly when it's Ireland versus England this idea that <clears throat> you know well, does anybody care about this Ireland-England game do you care about it I you see I, I, I like the, well yeah there's such easy the, um, access to the Premier League now as well I don't think England coming to town in from a footballing point of view mm. is as much of a draw you know people see Wayne Rooney all the time but uh, yeah. obviously from a Ireland England the age old rivalry uh, I think I think I think people do I think people do yeah I know you live in your little sort of ivory tower in South Dublin Nathan but there are other sort of you know <laughs> cohorts of society out there who do care about this stuff. Um, I think I'm doing the sideline interviews for Satanta that night. It's oh, on really? Satanta Sports, yeah. It's so. on at one o'clock on a Sunday. I yeah, or that s- afternoon. I thought you didn't work Sunday. Yeah. Some sort of religious <laughs> well, thing. Occasionally. Um, yeah, so um, I really care about it. Yeah, well, it's money in your back pocket. <laughs> That's usually what <laughs> inspires you. So Roy Hodgson last week as I was walking out of Stamford Bridge. All right. Funny enough, whatever way, you always see a surpri- surprising number of famous people. I, I did mention my Jeremy Clarkson incident. Oh, but yeah. They do attract a lot of celebrities and, well, these aren't celebrities. You'd expect Roy Hodgson to be at Chelsea against Liverpool, but he was getting a lot of photos. And then he went off into a sprint towards his taxi. And I'll tell you, he could still take, move. Yeah. The previous time I was at uh, Stamford Bridge, I was walking out of the ground and next thing I was like surrounded by like four kids running around playing football. I was like, oh my God, who are, what, what are these kids here running around? And then two feet away from me is Roman Ramvich. Uh, so I was like, I better not. Rich kids. Yeah. yeah. What about are you doing? <laughs> yeah. That's why you own this bloody place. And next thing a, a, a sleek black limb up on <laughs> yeah. top and the doors swing open. <laughs> Nathan Murphy never heard from again. <laughs> uh, we really should start a new sort of feature so I can get a little sting going celebrity spotting with Nathan Murphy. Yeah, I do keep my eyes open at you all do. times. 
Well, in fairness, Jeremy Clarkson was in the lift with Jeremy. He <laughs> literally right. was in the lift. You were up with like, Jeremy Car- Clarkson and down with somebody else. Did I hear that? Vinnie Jones. Point? Vinnie Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. good. Very yeah, there was good. a lot of um, ex-players around. I suppose they did win the league. Uh, Dennis Wise was there. All right. Looking good. Was he? They, I think Stamford Bridge definitely number one celebrity spotting because quite often they let them into the press room as well. Right. Which you wouldn't normally well, see. They probably have a lot of buddies there. Yeah, yeah, but like guys that aren't ex-footballers that they just, I suppose they're showing them behind the scenes or whatever. To a what do you mean guys degree. who aren't? Oh, celebrities that yeah, aren't. Like right. Yeah, like Jeremy Clarkson yeah, yeah. types. Yeah. Well, they don't want to be mixing with the great unwashed as Vincent Brown might put it. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, mm. yeah. Actually, I think I do Vincent a disservice. I can't remember who somebody made a reference to Great Unwashed quite recently. And then they had to kind of apologise for it. Yeah, I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, I'll tell you who it was. It was Pat Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on... Uh, is it Moncrief? Certainly Somewhere one, across the News Talk One schedule. of the great shows on News Talk. One of the many. Um, so, yeah, look, we don't really get into... The, like you know, <laughs> We don't really want to talk about any of this weekend's <laughs> yeah. matches. We did spend like 10 minutes last week talking about the UK general election. Yeah, and while people found that insightful. Well, we had you know, a record number of low listeners, which is sort of <laughs> in itself a feat. Um, Hull can't be relegated. That's the key point. Hull can't... What? They cannot be relegated this weekend. Oh, sorry, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that seems to be mathematically impossible. Um, Sunderland Leicester is one of the games of the weekend. Yeah. Nathan, the stadium, like one of the Saturday matches at three o'clock. And suddenly... Sunderland, uh, two consecutive wins, beating Southampton and Everton. Seven points from the last three games. Like it, I, I think you know it is possible, as you point out there with Hull, that both of these teams won't actually need one more single point potentially. Mm. But obviously, they can't take that risk. Uh, Leicester first, if they stay up. Nigel Pearson, he's had his um, drama over the last few weeks, but it's going to be held. It's one of the. Uh, performances of the season I would proffer the performances of any season mm. six wins from seven and improvement at both ends scoring a huge amount of goals not conceding any is it three clean sheets three goals or three clean sheets from the last four games they've just been brilliant and I spoke to Stuart Robson about it a couple of weeks ago and he'd seen them a few times and spoke how he was able to change tactics mid-match at times if he felt things weren't working out and just really on the tactical side of things and maybe with Newcastle we look more at the motivational side but Pearson tactically has got it spot on wasn't afraid to change realised that something had to change over the last few weeks and to win six from seven phenomenal like they were gone they were absolutely, dead absolutely yeah it's uh yeah it, it, it would be it'd be well it'd be funny now if they went down yeah <laughs> <laughs> Jesus there's something statistic in that but yeah I think that's kind of reasonable uh, I mean and they spent the money greatly excited by having Leicester in the Premier League no. again next season or having Nigel Pearson for that matter but uh, they spent no money no they did spend they a bit of money, money you, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you compare them to Burnley who you have to think will have a certain amount of regret I know Sean mm. Dyche essentially says they always it, struck me as a club who were just like fully accepting yeah. that there was only one way and you look at the, I guess, the size of the, the town and the type of town it is. It's never going to be one of the great... What sort of a town is it? Just the very working class, sort of almost suburbs of Manchester. Now it's mm. an hour from Manchester or whatever. Should that not be... Uh, I would think these are good reasons that they might actually have a decent football team. Why? Like a working class town with no yeah, major work going on. No, but they, can, they do have a decent football team. They were just playing in the Premier League. Mm. But I'm saying that they, I don't think they'll ever really have enough to become a regular top half of the Premier League table they're always going to be mid-championship mid-table Premier League mid-table championship somewhere in between but this is a chance and it was a chance you know they're going to get 60 million quid for being relegated that you go and spend 15 million on a striker you go and take that risk which Leicester did spent a lot of money Mm. on Ujoa and 
his goals will have saved them. Well, they'll get uh, what will they get for Danny Ings when he joins Liverpool? About four million quid. Really? Well, it's a free transfer. Oh, nightmare! So they're only going to get and uh, the contract. They're only going to get compensation and the contract. Yeah. How they allow that to happen? That's fucking insanity. Well, I'm it? sure they didn't intend it. How does that happen with like with I, I I never know how that would happen with any club with any player at any club because I mean financially you would go like a year out from the end of the deal you would go right here's new terms let's let's get this signed and Danny Ying says well let's just hang on a moment there and then you say well if you want to hang on a moment you're out the door but then you also think well, we've just been promoted to the Premier League we've got a guy here who on his own could score enough goals to keep us in the Premier League. If we get rid of him, we're probably going to have to spend 15 million on somebody else to score the goals. Well, Let's I just mean, keep this guy, hope we do well, and hope he'll stay. Yeah, but the reality of these things uh, generally is that... What would know, they have got for Danny Ings? They would well, have got well, look, 7 that, or 8 that's, million. That's a reasonable point. Look, it's a reasonable point. But generally Thank what you. happens with these things is pragmatism wins out. And like everybody's accepting that, you know... Such, you know, player X signs a new two-year deal and everybody totally understands that he's gone at the end of that, se- like the, the next season or whatever, he's looking for a new club and that's it, he's mm. done. You know, like this happens all the time. Like these contracts mean absolutely nothing. And from Burnley's point of view, I'm sure they could have had a quiet word in his ear and said, look, you know, you have a good year, you score 10 or 15 goals, we'll, uh, we, you know, insert a clause in the contract that says we'll listen to whatever offer. Totally yeah. fine. But if, if that's Danny, how Ings, operate. Danny Ings' value, I would imagine would be probably... He's still quite young, like he's only 22, so he'd be probably... He's all, really, yeah? Yeah. He right. plays, plays with the England 21s. Right. Now, he looks about 30. Mm. But, you know, his value would probably be around 15 million quid if they tried to sell him. So, he's pro- he's thinking to himself, well, if I do well in the Premier League, I have a year left in my contract, which he did. You know, he did... Re- I don't think he was incredible. He scored 10 goals. But he's going to sign for Liverpool, so they'll pay 4 million compensation. They should have paid 15 million and he'll probably get a two million quid signing on fee mm. straight into his back pocket. Why is the, So why does the four million have to be paid? Because he because was brought through. through he, yeah, so there's a right, uh, compensation. Right, right, right. He was given it the big one at the weekend when he scored against, who was it? Mm. Hull. Hull. Straight over to the Burnley fans, kissing the badge, blowing kisses. Yeah. I'm one of you guys. See you later. Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah it, I, it's a strange signing from a Liverpool point of view because there's going to be, again, it's there's going to be so much expectation and it, it often those signings it's like Mario Balotelli oh, it's a no risk signing they're getting him on a free and altogether it's going to cost 5-6 million mm. but unless you're signing somebody else there is a huge risk if Danny Ings is going to be your main guy next season I presume they're going to sign somebody else but it was like when Manchester United signed Michael Owen oh, it's a no risk signing but then there was times during the Champions League when they looked on the bench and you're looking for a striker and all you see is Michael Owen or he was injured. Mm. Well, actually, that was a big risk because you've left yourself short because you thought you took the cheap option. You went with Michael Owen. Yeah, I can understand the rationale behind it, but I do take your point because... No, it's I very mean, different. Well, Danny well, well you only 22. say no risk if you don't have another 30 million to spend yeah. on somebody. Then it's no risk because, well, the flip side of that is we probably weren't going to get anybody, potentially. Potentially. Um, the LMA performance of the week, Nathan, apparently is a thing. Did you know this? League, the League Managers, Managers Association performance of the week. No, I, I was unaware of it until. Is it an I actual read. award? Do you get like Apparently, something for your I don't know if they'd like bring you out and do the usual sort of photo shoot and give you some bullshitty piece of glass or whatever. Uh, but Dick Avocat won it uh, for the performance against Everton last yeah. week. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a fan of Dick Avocat. Something just very uninspiring. You're about sticking them. with the Avocat. Avocat. I think I'm pretty sure it's Avocat. I'll Dick go Avocat. Avocat then. Yeah. Why not? 
just to be different. Do you like him? Um, it doesn't or, really matter whether up, we like him or not. Well, up to a couple of weeks ago, it was this guy's an absolute schmuck. He's yeah. uh, hasn't got a clue what the hell he's on about. Seven points from the last three games. Nobody had beaten Ed- Everton at Goodison Park in the league so far in 2015. United City and Liverpool had all failed to do so, but suddenly the heat is on and Sunderland come out with a win. I'm not 100% sure. There was an interesting comment, actually. He was speaking to the Guardian uh, this week, uh, Richard Jolly, and as Jolly puts it, it was a sort of a shotgun wedding, the uh, marriage here between Dick Advocate and Sunderland. And in terms of a long-term union, Dick Advocate, no, 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 I get a divorce. I think that's actually sort of quite a good comment from Dick Advocate. Really? <laughs> Pointing out that, well, listen, it's Sunderland. What's the point in signing too long a contract? One way or another, they're going to be sacked case. within the next yeah. 18 months. I think he's been very, very fortunate. Like, you look at the games they've won. Uh, okay, Southampton, they did okay, but they were destroyed by Everton for the 90 minutes. Got two extremely lucky goals, won that game. They won the Tyneware Derby, the worst Tyneware Derby in living memory. Mm. One bit of quality, one bit of brilliance from Jermaine Defoe, and it gets them a crucial three points. They're a club... Like maybe even looking at next season, and will it be a decent Premier League season? Maybe we'll have a bit more drama. But there's a lot of bad teams in there, and Newcastle and Sunderland don't look like teams who are going to dramatically improve between no. the end of this season and the start of next. Now, maybe, again, they both get new managers, there's a bit of life brought back into them, they make a couple of decent signings, and that might change. But at the moment, both of them look like they're going to be in for a relegation fight next season, if they do survive this season. Yeah, pretty horrible, I would think, to be a fan of either of those clubs, it has to be said. Time to move on, Nathan. Are we going to stick with this next season? I mean, come on, what's going on? With the little, Are we going uh, to have one more Friday Football Podcast next week? Uh, we had a tweet. Uh, yeah, I had a tweet. And tw- I think somebody tweeted me tweet. too. They were. Uh, I'm sure it was the same person. Um, wondering when the GEA podcast was going to kick in. Because that is great stuff. If you think this is good. Oh Woo! my God, yeah. Um, That's yeah. really good because we get someone else to do a lot of the work for it. <laughs> yes, this is very accurate, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think we will do one next week. I wouldn't see any reason to sort of, you know... Round off the season. Too much. Of a, you can't get too much of a good Quite thing. Of a party. You know what I mean? Really, get the hats out and yeah. chocolate cake and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm up for that. A couple of beers. Um, we don't want to talk about all these games. QPR Newcastle is one of them uh, that you've kind of touched on just there. Uh, win for Newcastle, put them uh, over the 38 points and should be enough. I mean, it may already be enough um, with the current situation with Hull, of course, who are heading backwards fast. Uh, so they had the come from behind draw with uh, West Brom at the weekend. Mm. And I don't know if you've uh, read or listened to much John Carver this week. Uh, he's saying now that I'm the best coach in the Premier League line was tongue-in-cheek. There was nothing serious about it. And he's pretty pissed off that uh, how it was reported. And also, by the way, being pissed off with how it was reported and in the same breath saying that he doesn't read the newspapers, <laughs> he's not on, he doesn't have a Twitter account, and he's not on Facebook. He only watches the cricket and the golf on the TV. And, and listens to off the ball. Like there's so much contradiction in all of that. He only watch he only watches the cricket and the golf on the TV. Yeah. As a manager in the Premier League, he doesn't watch football. Well, maybe he doesn't watch it on TV. Maybe he gets the games recorded from and he watches bullshit. it in a completely at home on a analytical That's manner. Sitting at home on a Monday night, the football is on. I do have some sympathy for him with the whole "I'm the best coach in the Premier League" line because it what what he was essentially saying was, "I know we've been on a terrible run of results. You're expecting me to come in here." all doom and gloom, downbeat, that the confidence has been sucked out of me. But actually, I still have confidence in myself. I still think 
I'm a great coach. I still think I yeah. can do this. He could have said all of that without saying he was the best coach in the Premier League. Tongue in cheek, as he says himself, which, by the way, totally wasn't. He was. Uh, well, this feeds into, uh, we had this conversation where we certainly touched on it on last Saturday's Off the Ball about the 10 seconds that we see on Sky Sports News on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Mm. Pre-match, post-match reaction and predictions. And that we read so much into that. And that mastering that from a manager's point of view is almost now as important as how you coach and how you inspire your players because every supporter is watching this. And John Carver, it was one off-the-cuff comment that he didn't think a huge amount about and that was suddenly... Ah, but it was because ridiculous. If you I listen, would think he did, did quite deliberately the full, said that. Did you, he did, but did you listen to the full answer? The full answer yeah. was a good 90 seconds. Yeah. Whereas what was on Sky Sports on repeat was about 15 seconds. Yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean? You gotta, there's a lot of stuff on repeat there and I think you can't be playing that full 90 seconds. He's aware no, that. I, he I knew full well. He, he knew full well what he was saying. He, I, he I went in he there did, with that sort I of... I do think it takes quite a while for them to realise that if you make a comment like that, it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah. That it's going to be zoomed in on time and time again. Mm. And that for certain managers... It, and you can see it with certain inexperienced managers and even more experienced managers, someone like Brendan Rodgers, who talks a lot, arguably mm. talks too much, that he makes certain comments that when you isolate them and you repeat it, it sounds a hell of a lot worse than you actually meant it to be. Yeah, in some ways that's kind of reality though. Yeah. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously in an exactitude win. All right, let's get our final predictions. Yeah, on, on Monday's football show, and we are talking about it with Joe, and Joe was very much of the opinion, as I think is his kind of general opinion, that we focus way too much on the noise surrounding the Premier League. And actually, is this important, really? Mm. But my argument against that would be, well, actually, it clearly is, because everybody's talking about ah, it. Whether yeah. you want it to be important or whether it should be important yeah. is in one way irrelevant. Now, we can delve deeper and off the ball. We do have the time to delve deeper and to look at the tactics and to look at a lot of what's going behind behind the scenes at Newcastle and try and figure things out. But that's not how Sky Sports News works. And Sky Sports News is the main driver, I would argue, of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, the way they edit certain aspects of press conferences, they can edit it a certain way, take out certain clips to suit their agenda. Yeah. I, I'm highly, and, and I'm highly entertained to... by the noise, by the way, I have to admit. Yeah. Well, so am I. Mm-hmm. I can understand why some people aren't. Well, it can get frustrating. Speaking of noise, you've name-checked him there. Liverpool against Palace at Anfield at a game on Saturday evening. And it's all about Stevie G's last mm. home game. Nathan, this is one sort of significant one rather than the horseshit we've had to listen to for the last six months. Um, tickets for the main stand at Anfield, normally £47. Uh, selling this week on the All Interclick, which John Carver is not a fan of, for over £1,300 on uh, some sites to just get a glimpse of that Stevie G magic. What are they expecting? Well, what they're expecting like, is expect that them to get a little pole out and do a dance in the middle of the pitch for a that pole much. Pole dance, really? Yeah, I would sort of think that that diminishes the cost of <laughs> the ticket. Uh, that he's going to get a guard of honor, apparently. Yeah, fair enough. Much. I actually read. Uh, obviously, he did his press conference yesterday. Um, his sort of final goodbye to Liverpool, and they made a cake for all the journalists to oh, eat. Right. And actually, for the first time in quite a while, I thought, yeah, Stephen Gerrard, he's done good. He, uh, he bought every staff member, 40 staff members at Melwood. He got them a signed jersey, framed Stephen Gerrard. Of course, also feeding into his ego at all times. <laughs> but this is something... This it's is a dual so, purpose. I this see is what something you're particularly valuable. But, you know, I thought he spoke spoke really well. And there was... Obviously, he's spent his entire life at the club and it means a huge amount to him. Yeah. It's, it is 
extremely sad in the way the way he's declined over the last couple of years. But he admitted himself in that he goes, "Look, I'm 35. I, he's going to be 35 next month. That's." I'm not able for this level anymore. Well, that's a but, good uh, good question. But but I might we'll come back to that. He, uh, we spoke a bit earlier on about the big goals that he scored mm. at Liverpool during his career, and he was talking about it at the press conference during the week. I suppose like they were the things that really defined him in many ways. And actually, in some ways, the thing that a lot of people used to beat him with as well that he was always this sort of chasing that glory. But um, a quote from here: Every time I've been in that situation in my career where I, they needed a big goal, I've tried to grasp it. I'll take risks rather than play safe. I'll sometimes go against what a manager wants for me to try and grab that bit of glory in an important important moment for the team. At that uh, level we play at, if you're not prepared to be bold and take the risk, push on, then, well, certainly I wouldn't have had the moments I've had or the performances that have changed me. Um, again, sort of, you know, despite the managers I've had, I've Steve, been brilliant. If you can have the best writers in English football describing Steven Gerrard, but you could not describe him better than he's just described himself. Mm. Like, he summed himself up perfectly there. Like, mm. And there's a huge amount of flaws within what he's just said. Yeah, but a bit of truth too, right? There I mean, is. You, you and know, like it is I, like, one of the reasons, I think, that maybe he won't go down as you know one of the all-time greats, that at times he took too many risks. At times he brought it all... You know, he was... W- Chelsea last season regardless of the slip and that is always what will be focused on and will be replayed what stands out for me at Gerrard's performance was the way he played in the second half where he'd completely lost his head instead of thinking I'm the most experienced player here let's drag this team together and let's just get the bloody goal we need Mm -hmm. instead he decided I'm going to take 8 or 9 shots from 30 yards out and I'm going to have to do this all by myself. Well, he'd done that, that's what he'd done. But like, like if you, you you revert to type in that situation, and that's what he'd mm. done in, over his entire career. But and he's done less and less frequently. Yeah. Like it's ten years. We're coming up next week on the tenth mm. anniversary of Istanbul. So it's ten, and that was Gerard's peak. Oh mm. five, oh six, pushing up towards oh nine, and when he was working with Torres. But it's ten years since he was at his very, very best. And I think the. The big criticism you can have of Gerard is that, like, even going back to 09, that's six years ago now, that in the last five, six years, he hasn't really changed his game, that he isn't able to grab a game like he once was. So taking risks, it was fine when he was 24, 25, because he would always deliver. You know, there was a far higher percentage of great goals scored. That started to diminish mm. over the last few years. And certainly the whole, like, I've heard him criticise Joe Allen before. Well, did he mention Joe Allen? But it was certainly something, you know, Joe Allen would finish every game with 100% pass completion rate. And he'd have 120 passes. Mm. But Jared was making a point. Like, they're all safe. They're all like they're all two safe. yards. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I want to do something more. I want to what do was something he at, more. by the way, when he scored against Chelsea? Like sort of head down, turn around. Well, I don't know what like, you no. were talking about, to be honest. Really? But what, what's there to celebrate? Well, like, the, Liverpool's record at Chelsea is shit. Yeah. He's coming so. towards the end of his career at Liverpool. He had never scored against Chelsea prior to that. Not they just equalised against the champions. Yeah. There's like four or five. Why, why not? Why, because all why of those reasons are completely irrelevant. Why would Firstly, you not he had scored. He had celebrated the week before when he scored the winner against Queens Park Rangers at Anfield because it was the winning goal. The, and the kept Chelsea alive fans giving him shit, like like you know, week in week out. Another because reason. I actually I think he would have been far more heavily criticised if he had celebrated. Because if he had celebrated, it would have summed up everything that was wrong with Liverpool at the moment, which is essentially. You're celebrating averageness. We just scored. No, we've just celebrated scoring no. a goal, like, 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 not a goal to bring a two-one. By the way, an equaliser against the champions. Yeah, uh, we we just scored an equaliser against the champions, who've made five changes, who've already won the title, who really couldn't care less, 
and we've had to come from behind. And <sighs> what's what's a draw going to get us? A draw gets them nothing. They can't finish in the Champions like, League. Like I think, if you have now. to, if he of... scored the winner, there's no question. If he'd scored the winner, he would have been off celebrating. Yeah. I think if to like give that much context, it loses the like. There's too much forethought f- f- by Gerard uh, from Gerard. From I my think mind. Gerard's natural response is at the end of the Surely season. Surely your natural response, by the way, for all the reasons I've given, that's actually the point. Surely your natural response after scoring a goal, for all those reasons I've just mentioned, is to turn around and give it the big one. Now I'm not saying like you chase off into the corner and you're like, we just won the league, but like some sort of something other than I pick the ball up and run back to the halfway line and give it a tiny little bit of a su- very subtle sort of no, fist pump. No, I would. Back. I couldn't disagree more. I think it was right. actually one of the more impressive things Stephen Gerrard has done over the last couple of years mm. that he showed a focus that this isn't good enough being satisfied and celebrating an equaliser away from home at the end of the season against the champions when we can't even finish in the top four. It's just too much information going on there for me. Like, he's just scored a goal. You turn around and you celebrate. See, you see... Like, how many of these thoughts is he having in the a lot. split you, second after he scored I think you underestimate Stephen Gerrard. In, like, we've had so many rows about Stephen Gerrard. Yeah. Like, I don't know what we're going to talk about next season. <laughs> but we've had so well, many we're rows... We're going to do a lot of coverage of the MLS for a start. And, and the basic... The basic, I think... The basic, what's the word I'm looking for, problem between us is that, <laughs> I, and I think Jer is probably on my side to a certain degree, is that we believe Stephen Gerrard thinks a lot about every little thing he does. Whereas you see him as a much more simple character who goes on instinct. I, no, that's the totally misrepresenting my point. No, totally, totally, and well, utterly misrepresenting. Like, I, I would absolutely believe that Stephen Jarrett thinks uh, very deeply about these things and that's actually the fundamental reason why I think he didn't celebrate. That he had almost figured this thing out, like he'd almost been thinking about that before he'd scored it because surely your natural reaction if you're an unthinking player, you put the ball in the back of the net and a not insignificant goal, not hmm. in the context of the season, like utterly insignificant, but in the context of the game, not insignificant, that your natural reaction is turn around and celebrate. Just scored. Yeah, but... I'm, I probably, he, he this, this could be my last goal ever but, for Liverpool. And it's an irrelevant goal. Only that's an equaliser at the Champions. But, th- like, the Champions makes it more irrelevant. More irrelevant? Yeah. Why? Oh, look at look at us plucky little Liverpool scoring a goal at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> oh, a year ago, but, wait a second, we should have okay. been winning the league. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but uh, fair enough. But, you know, like I think and if you take that to its extreme and you sort of analyse every goal that's scored in the Premier League and have a big debate about, well, should you celebrate this one and not celebrate that one? Like, I, like that, I, I, don't, understand, I don't understand that point because you've just, like, that's to suggest that he's had, you know, like that he scored the goal and then spent five minutes thinking about what he should do. You know, his natural reaction was to put the ball under his arm and head back to the halfway yeah. line. I, 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 because he I just knows don't, I don't understand it but I, I would have been surprised if he ran off celebrating I'm not saying he needs to run off but like some sort of a, like I've just put the ball in the net woo like that's mm. no no I, I, I really didn't get it uh, I'll off the ball if you have any thoughts about any of that uh, Liverpool Crystal Palace at Anfield late game late game on Saturday Sunday Swansea against Man City half one at the uh, Liberty Swansea chasing the European positions um, and then uh, Manchester United against Arsenal our game on Sunday afternoon uh, Dave will be at this one alongside Ray Houghton 4 o'clock kickoff. Arsenal beaten by Swansea at the weekend Nathan as they had been back in November and then also uh, as was the case in November they played United uh, in their next game after that which they lost 2-1 um, that aside it's probably the one time this season that Arsenal have had a bad record post defeat they generally tend to put together a good string of uh, you know eight ten mm. games unbeaten or eight ten wins in fact in a row often yeah, they re- they react well to defeat which in some respects 
is a bad sign of Arsenal. Why why do they need that defeat to give them a kick up the hole? Yeah, they're I don't know, they're just so full of contradictions. In one sense you look at Arsenal and think because of that and like they've scored a huge amount of late goals this season, this is a team full of character. But then there's so much to say they're not a team full of character that at times mm. they lack the leaders that you need to go and win a Premier League. They lack the mental toughness that Chelsea have. This game is very much like the last couple of big games. So Liverpool-Chelsea last weekend, Chelsea-Arsenal. It's at the end of the season. It could have been a potentially great yeah. game. But we don't know what the attitude of both these sides going into it might be. Well, it's still a little bit to play for, clearly. I well, mean, third place. If Manchester yeah. United win this, you know, Arsenal are in trouble. Mm. So yeah. top three qualify automatically for the Champions League. Fourth place goes into a playoff and you... It's it's not like the old days. Like you play a decent team now in the playoffs because all the they go into the champions group, where the better leagues, the the final qualifier from the better leagues go. So they could be playing Monaco, who knocked them out of the Champions League this season. They could be yeah. playing Lazio. They could be playing a team like that. So it's not exactly the foregone conclusion it once was. And also, you also have two more matches at the start of the season, which you don't really want. You really don't want. Well, yeah. Yeah, okay. I know what you're going to say that actually, well, well yeah. maybe it started look, the look, season, I players see, are fresh. Yeah, and I see both sides. I see both sides. I think that certainly where United are at, they probably, you know, um, maybe could have done with a couple of games like that pre this season. Mm. But uh, maybe it's a bit more of a hindrance next season where Louis van Gaal actually knows what he's doing. Presumably, well, has already dipped into the transfer market, getting his business done nice and early and presumably will dip in a little bit more before we're done. Um, and from Arsenal's point of view, well, they are a bit of a basket case in many respects. It's, you know, the we we perceive them to be perennial underachievers. Yeah, they are under underachievers. Like this season, that run of nine wins in a row, eight wins in a row, up until the, the Chelsea post-Monaco game. post-Monaco uh, Champions yeah, League. Yeah, that, that was as good as it's got for Arsenal in the last decade in terms of the league, where they genuinely looked for quite a considerable period as they might be the best team in the Premier League. But ultimately, it was far too little too late. That, as Arsene Wenger himself said, oh, well, they led us after eight games, Chelsea were 11 points ahead of us. Arsene Wenger has a brilliant ability to almost separate himself from things that have gone before. So it was, it's as if he's talking about another club that somebody else was in charge. Mm. Well, you know, that guy who had us 11 points behind Chelsea after eight games, he really screwed it up for me. Yeah, Look yeah, how I rescued yeah. this. Look how I rode in and rescued the situation. The longest serving manager, of course, in yeah. the Premier League. Um, so, the possibility that Welbeck uh, is back and it might be interesting to see how he goes, obviously, at Old Trafford as well. And against a somewhat youthful United defence, um, how, do you, how do you figure? I mean, we, we presume he comes back, maybe Giroud, uh, Giroud makes way. No, you don't think? Well, no, why, no, would, why would you play Welbeck instead of Giroud? Well, I because he's been in terrible form recently and, um, you know, presumably yeah, this guy's back up from until the last couple of games he was in poor form. He had scored 7-7 seven and seven in the league up to that. Mm. Uh, he's missed a couple of chances and I guess the criticism is in games like this against the better teams, you get one chance and you need somebody to take it. And, and Welbeck has scored against United earlier in the season. Yeah, but Giroud's a better player than... Danny Welbeck you'd assume United and Van Gaal would approach this game as he's approached a lot of the big games recently which they've done quite well in in that they're very very solid they'll have a lot of possession they'll try and have a lot of possession and whether they can take their one or two chances again it's probably in one sense almost a more important game for Arsenal to go out and prove that they can win games like this away from home and they can have some sort of a tactical plan yeah. I'd imagine Arsenal might line up very probably the same starting eleven as they'll play in the cup final that this is 
you know, then you're yeah. going to rest. You're going to rest people. To play West Brom last day of the season, you're yeah. going to rest people for that. Um, yeah, uh, Walcott. It's hard to get a, like Walcott was the this great player that sort of promised much. Mm. Uh, but it was going to be this brilliant thing. He, I mean, it's almost. He's not an option up front now, whatever, but I mean, and almost not an option on the right either, but. Yeah, well, Larson Wenger has mentioned, obviously he had the injury and he was out for a year and Wenger says, well, though he's fit, there's something, he seems to be mentally damaged by it, that he doesn't trust his body yet. Now, again, the last night against Swansea, he had a couple of chances and for, like, it's 10 years. What year are we in now? 2015. So it's nine years since he was in the England squad. He just still seems like this young fella with a lot of promise and he's just never going to reach it. Yeah. Like, uh, he hasn't had a bad career. He's he's still only 26. He just expected more out of time. Him, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, maybe it was the fact he came on the scene so young mm. that when players are 17, 18, you assume, well, if they're that good when they're 17 or 18, imagine how good they're going to be mm. when they're 24, 25. But it doesn't always follow that pattern. Sometimes they improve slightly yeah. and they don't turn out to be, just because you're brilliant when you're 17 or 18 doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the best player in the world when you're 25, 26. There's just a constant question with Walcott about what exactly is his best position. You want to play him on the slightly on the right so you can make the most of his pace. He's 26 now. That pace will probably be starting to diminish slightly. Or, well, actually, you can play him up front on his own. Like, he, this guy could score 25 goals a season hmm. at some stage. But that never happens. No. And he just doesn't seem... It's, it's almost like an English version of Shane Long. That, like, very different type of players. But you look at Shane Long and go, well, Surely you can train this. Surely you can teach him mm. to finish. One on one, surely you can teach him to finish. Only. And it just it doesn't seem to happen. It just doesn't seem to happen. Uh, I was reading Ars, uh, the Ars blogger um, today. He was talking about uh, the idea that he's not trusted in the wide position either because he's just a bit of a liability defensively. And so, yeah. like Wenger is turning to Ramsey and I think Wilshire maybe the last time as well. And Oxley Chamberlain as well when he's fit. Like an utter disaster for uh, Walcott. Yeah, and actually, from an Arsenal point of view, that has been one of the main successes tactically this season. That when he plays either Ramsey or Oxley, I think Oxley Chamberlain in particular, if he plays Oxley Chamberlain and Ramsey together, they're so much more solid mm. in a defensive situation. Like Oxley Chamberlain is up and down and up and down and up and down, whereas Walcott is essentially a striker playing yeah. right on the wide on the right. Uh, that's United Arsenal, our live game on Sunday at 4 o'clock. West Brom will play Chelsea on Monday. My treble, Nathan, by the way, we both fell down on our trebles last week. Uh, it fell on, for me, Chelsea not beating Liverpool, and for you, Liverpool not beating Chelsea. You had a draw. I went for Liverpool to beat Chelsea. Well, yeah. I've lost my mind. I think you did. Um, the You went for a draw on the Newcastle-West Brom game, which yeah. is to your credit and fairness. Thank you. So I've been inspired that uh, by that. And so this week I'm going for Sunderland to draw with Leicester. I just think there's so much riding for both of them that it could be a bit of a... Uh, they might just strangle to death uh, the life out of each other. Liverpool to beat Palace and Newcastle. John Carver to mastermind to win a QPR. Uh, all of which comes in. For me, this is uh, quite phenomenal. It's 10 to 1. Wow. End of season, you're starting to take a few risks. Yeah. I don't think you'd break even if you went at 50 to 1 at this stage. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. 100 to 1, I'd probably be struggling. Go on, what have you got? Uh, I am going to go for Stoke to beat Burnley. Uh, away from home in kind of a meaningless game at this stage of the season. Uh, Liverpool to beat Crystal Palace. And Manchester United and Arsenal to draw. All right. 
And as always, all the goals and whatever else you're having yourself on Off The Ball on Saturday afternoon. Nathan, next uh, week, our final one as we've uh, decided, of course the last hour. Yeah. It'll be teary-eyed. It'll probably again be just ourselves, but sure, look, we got a battle on with these things. We might try and coax McIntyre, and we managed to get Gilroy in for a short point. Wow, uh, what a privilege. Yeah. Nathan, good luck. Enjoy again. Right.